Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got three good friends of mine and we are hanging out at my buddy Isaac's family farm. We're getting ready for a duck hunt in the morning and this is one of my favorite times to do a podcast. I don't know why there's got to be something like deep rooted within our DNA, maybe like way back when hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, people would get together. Like the guys would get together the night before a hunt, get a game plan together. And whenever we do that before opener of deer season or duck season or frog gigging or whatever, it just seems good. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. If you guys have gotten together with any of your hunting buddies or families to do something like this, I think you would totally understand what I'm saying, understand the feeling. But this is actually on the tail end of a season. So normally we don't do like a big deal where we get together the night before a hunt. If it's like in the middle of a season or at the end, it's almost always right before the opener. But here in Missouri, our seasons for waterfowl, they're actually split the state is split into three zones. So you have Northern zone, middle zone and Southern zone. And tomorrow is the last day of middle zone. So we decided to come up here. There've been a lot of birds in the area and it should be a good time. So fingers crossed. I think you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. I always look forward to stuff like this and I hope that I can do many more of these. Now, before we jump into the podcast, I want to make you aware of something. So next week, we are going to be dropping some new merch and I can't wait. A good friend of ours was like, Hey, I came up with this cool design. Let me know what you think. And from there I was like, Hey, I think you should design multiple more shirts, stickers, hats, things like that. And so we've got a couple things dropping next week and then we'll probably drop a couple more probably near the end of the month, but be on the lookout for that. I'm really excited. I actually have, the first one's already ordered because I want to see what they look like, see how they fit, check out the quality, all of that stuff. So pumped about that. I know a lot of you guys have been asking for shirts, hats, other merchandise. Now it's finally coming. So can't wait. Anyways, we're going to jump into this podcast right now. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. On the show with me today, I'm joined by three friends that are all going to go out hunting tomorrow. Um, we finally got a push of birds. Like, it's been, I don't think we've ever shot a lot of teal here in December and now we're already into January, and we never shoot teal in January. But you guys have been hammering teal up here lately. Yeah. On uh, Thursday, we were up here. Hi, I'm Isaac. On Thursday, we were up here. <laughs> and uh, 
we only shot uh, green wing teal drakes. It was the weirdest hunt that we've been on. Like we saw a group of eight shufflers. We saw maybe four mallards, a couple of gadwall. None of them wanted to work, but green wing teal did it. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. I heard Drew had a pretty phenomenal shot. Oh, he had a great shot. Uh, he went to pick up a, a... A teal. A teal that flew. And these two came in and flared because uh, me and another one of our Benny were buddies were... Uh, Benny is also <laughs> correct. His name's Ben. Uh, we're just standing up out of the blind, and they went over, and this bird was, like, out there. And it was out there to the point where Drew was like, am I going to take this shot? Yeah, I'm going to take this shot. And dropped it in its tracks, so. How far? It felt like 70 yards from where I was looking at it. Yeah, and I was saying 60 is yeah. like what I told Dan on the phone. That's probably reasonable. It grows in your mind as time goes <laughs> it on. It does. You said you led it like 12 feet or yeah, something, like right? It, it I mean, was, that tells hunters more than anything how far yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was way out there. It was just a, it was a pot shot in my mind, and it fell and landed way out there on the ice. So it was, nice. a, it was a fun, fun retrieve. I guess, I guess we should probably do intros. Oh, everybody has been on the show except for Isaac so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm new. So we'll start with Isaac. We're going counterclockwise. Okay. So Isaac, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Yep. What you do and what got you into hunting? Yeah. So my name's Isaac Neal at Isaac Neal here with another pro tip. Uh, I take pictures for a living. I take pictures and videos in the hunting world. Um, and I got into hunting. It's a family thing. We're right now sitting at my family cabin and it's covered in, uh, amazing taxidermy. Yeah. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate to be a part of a family that loves hunting. My grandpa loved hunting, grew up hunting. You know, he grew up in a time where you could carry your 22 to school and shoot things on the way and leave it in the principal's office and then pick it up on the way out. And, and that's what's wrong with America now <laughs> is that you One cannot do that. <laughs> so like he tells a, he, he, he loved upland bird hunting growing up. We had a lot of quail around here and both of his grandpas were super into quail hunting. And so he has some really incredible stories about kicking around and shooting quail. But as time went on, he, you know, he got into waterfowl, um, he got into deer hunting and stuff. I mean, he, he, he's been hunting deer since there was like no deer. He went to the third deer season and I think it was 1950. I think the first deer season in Missouri was 1948 after everything was like put on hold. Um, uh, the, the story of Missouri con conservation is the same as North America in general, right? We didn't really have any regulations, hunted everything's to the brink of it extinction and then in the 30s people were like wait if we don't do something about this like we're not going to have this right so yeah. um they started regulating and and by 1948 we had enough and i'm sure somebody will fact check that but whatever we had enough of a population to open up deer hunting and so uh, one of the stories that sticks with me is when he he went to school at missouri state uh, it wasn't called that at the time but uh the third season he was down in, in Springfield at Missouri state and drove down to like Dallas County or Taney County. Or I can't remember where they opened it up in one County and then they opened it up in two counties and like it spread from there. Spending the night in his car, 
waking up in the morning and going out and hunting and not seeing anything, but just like he's always been ate up with hunting. And so he, he, his legacy is going to be having provided this place for us. Um, he built this cabin a few years ago and honestly, it's nicer than my house. So I need it's, to figure it's out. It's nicer than every house I've lived in. Cabin, <laughs> cabin is a funny word for yeah. this place. Yeah. yeah. So um, when I was 11, that's when you could start hunting when I was growing up. So I took my hunter's education. Like my dad had been into um, whitetail deer hunting with firearms and bow and did some turkey hunting. But by the time I came around, it was pretty much just opening weekend of firearm season. I got my hunter safety. We went out, didn't see anything. I'm sure I was like moving and super noisy, but, uh, shot my first deer that year. It was like an hour before we had to leave to go home. Me and my dad went out. My dad had zero faith in me as he should have. That's fair. <laughs> he fell asleep and I shot this little button buck that came through. And from there I was, I was just smitten. Yeah. I was like, this is what I need to be doing. What what was that like the first time you walked up on a deer that you'd taken? Man, it was it was like a thrill of emotion. Um, it it you have all of these feelings, right? Because like death is inherently something that carries a lot of gravity to it. Like when you bring death on something else, so like you first of all you're stoked. You're like that deer went down. I did it. I'm a hunter, big time. And then you get up there to the animal and you're like, I just took this thing's life. Like. And, like, I don't know that there was a lot of conversation surrounding that beforehand. And I think it's totally natural, but just, like, that, like, wash of emotion. And then it pretty quickly turns into, all right, you, you got to cut it open and gut it now. So, like, yep. there's not much time for emotion after that. But, yeah. When I went away to college is when I started, like, pursuing other stuff. Like, started, like, uh, like uh, some small game and stuff like that, rabbit and squirrel. And then I had a buddy take me duck hunting and the first time I went duck hunting was like, we went out, he had a canoe, we put it in and we paddled around this lake, Truman Reservoir, which is real near here. I was just wearing his borrowed hip waders. We just laid out under some like driftwood and stuff. Didn't see a duck all day. It was bitterly cold. I later found out that the waders had leaks in them. I just thought like, this is how cold you are, right? And then get back to the truck and I'm soaked. And, uh, but for whatever reason, I was like, yep, duck hunting. And from there, like duck hunting really took over. I still have a special fondness for whitetail hunting. Like it's like our family's big holiday, but uh, duck hunting is what I do when I have free time. That's awesome. That's the plan tomorrow. Chad, I don't know if you did like an intro or anything the last time you were on the show. In fact, I don't even know your last name. And so you were just in the bio on that episode as Chad. Let's leave it that way. Everybody else had like handles and last names. And I was like, you know what? He's just going to be Chad forever. Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? Um, my social media presence is pointless anyway, so it really doesn't make <laughs> a sense to like have a handle or do any of that. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Chad Forever is also a very good name. I mean, I have a terrible name, so I try to make do. You know, most of the Chads you meet and the way it's perceived yeah. is. Oh, you are not a normal Chad. I try not to yeah. be. No, I'm saying I'm saying your new last name is Forever. I mean, oh. I feel like that's a stage name. That's Chad actually forever. good. Yeah. Okay. Chad Forever. Yeah, sure. That sounds like a Netflix series. <clears throat> it could be. Yeah. Um, just don't put me in it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think it may. I, it's kind of weird to be like here doing this because um, I grew up hunting. 
I took hunter safety, I think, when I was 11, too, like whenever you're allowed. Yeah, like at a um, VFW hall or something. Uh, we actually took it in the back of the local hardware store Perfect. in Seymour. That's so Seymour, That's Which Missouri. is really funny. <laughs> Welcome and like, to Missouri, guys. And like to prove that point, me and my brother took it together, passed it together. Mine is on record. His is not. So actually this year he hunted Apprentice with me. <laughs> even though like so we awesome. took it to get i don't even understand uh, paperwork got lost in the nail bin yeah, yeah exactly like literally it's insane um and i like hunted a lot as a kid shot like a lot of small game um and honestly like grew up in a family where everybody poached all the time that was like normal hunting um and so when i was like 18 i didn't hunt until like this year basically and i'm you know trying to do it all by the book and do it right. And, um, it's been a lot more fun. And like, as a kid, I never killed a deer. I killed a lot of things, but never killed a deer. So like killed a deer for the first time this year and then shot three others after it. Um, and have like really enjoyed bird hunting. Luckily had access through Drew to go bird hunting and yeah, like waterfowl hunting a lot. It, it seems the most fun, the moving targets, mm -hmm. the amount of shooting you get to do, you know, um, sometimes there, there's a lot of upsides to waterfowl hunting because yeah. like you said, the moving targets, that's fun. The interaction with the animal, there's very few animals that you hunt where you have so much interaction with them, both vocally. And then also like the way you set up your spread, the movement, um, having to trick them into it. And then the camaraderie, like you don't have to worry about scent control. You yeah. don't have to worry about noise for the most part. And even movement, you don't have to worry about until you see birds or like have knowledge that they're in the area. Then you have to stay still. But other than that, you can just sit and hang out all morning long or all day long until the birds come in. Yeah. And I've been super lucky. Like knowing you guys has really been my intro into this. And because I have no idea, I just have like an old shotgun and come out and shoot things, you know? is basically how it rolls um and what got me back into hunting was guns like getting back into guns and building guns and like just the whole mechanical process of it and then it's like well what do you do with these guns you have um and so you end up hunting you know yeah and so I, I, yeah that's why i'm here just luck i guess yeah <laughs> the uh i think it's funny because like inevitably when you talk with someone who's not super into hunting there's the like what's your favorite or like if you could only pick one and it's like I do them for different reasons, right? Waterfowl is the camaraderie and it is the like, there is an element of that foolishness of like, we're going to get up at two 30 and drive to a lake and we're probably not going to see birds, but we're going to get cold. We might get wet. going to throw out the spread, going to hang out, just do stupid stuff with your friends. And then like whitetail hunting is like, I love the solitude. I love just yeah. being out in the woods oh, yeah. and like by yourself. <clears throat> it's, it's crazy. The idea of like, what the woods sound like when you're being Dude, quiet. You there's know, something like, about like being alone, the sun coming up and like no one else sees what you see that morning. Yeah. yeah. And like just that, that aloneness is, yeah. we miss that in our everyday life now. Yep. Um, a big day for me, it was like opening day of dove season, which I went with you guys. Yep. Um, you weren't there, Isaac, but uh. Dan and Drew were. And I like brought this old, like early sixties Browning a five and tried to shoot doves with it. And, was mildly successful, got way more successful later in the season. Yep. I feel um, like we were all pretty successful aside from the fact that we were hunting public land with a thousand other people. Oh my God. And yeah. every bird that went down, it was like a sprint to see who would go and pick it up. Even though everyone knows. Yeah. Who yeah, shot people it. know. And then all of a sudden it dies yeah. close enough to a different group 
and now it's their bird. Everybody yeah. knows that it was that 12-year-old kid next to you who ran out <laughs> in the field first. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Have you told the story? I was we were, we were just reminiscing on this. This wasn't this year, but last year the of opening dev. Oh yeah, the, you told the that group story that on the showed up right next to us. No, well, you got to start way back from there. So I I can tell the story. You and Drew go up early because yep. we're going to stay up all night and get the first spot, right? Yep. So you guys head up there. At, you get there at 9.30? He dropped me off. Yeah, I think it was. Well, well yeah, that, we, was yeah, we were, that was not yeah, the plan. That was not yeah. the plan. Yeah, we, we got there at 9.30. And, and as, as we're rolling into the parking lot, I get a call from my wife. And, you know, not too abnormal. My wife likes me, so she'll call me once in a while. Weird. And I answer and... My dog had gotten bitten by a some kind of spider and whatever, like on his uh, back leg, and his leg was swollen when I left home, and he was going to the vet the next morning. You know, not a big deal. He'll get get it taken care of. Well, me and Dan left, got up to where we were gonna hunt, like an hour, fifteen minutes away, and my dog started bleeding like profusely out of his leg, like. Yeah, at the time it was like my dog is bleeding out. Yeah, yeah, like bleeding out. I'm gonna go out. home and cradle this dog until it dies. Yeah, bleeding out, and yeah. so she's calling me. So I call my buddy that lives right behind us. He comes over. Don't have enough medical supplies, so I call yeah. my buddy in the army. Yeah, that has a huge trauma kit. He came over, had to apply quick clot and gauze and. Long story short. Long story short. Dan ended up sitting on a bucket in a parking lot for an hour and a half yeah, by himself. <clears throat> out, the, out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Some oh, people yes. would call well, it I, thought, I thought it was absolute nowhere. And then I hear a country like cornfield party going on. And I'm like, okay, this could get interesting in a hurry. Because I know how it goes. When a bunch of guys get together, alcohol's involved. And then dumb things happen. And so I'm sitting there like... I got a feeling I'm going to have a run in with some other people. Hopefully it'll be friendly. And luckily none of that happened, but I was sitting on my bucket. I've got like every dove hunters bucket, right? It's just a five gallon bucket with a camo swivel seat on top. Yep. And I'm sitting on that and I took my headlamp off, wrapped it around a one gallon water jug and made like a little lantern. And I sat there for hours I had a bunch of people texting like, hey, who's up there already? I'm like, just me. Just me, please. Wait, Alone, didn't, didn't on a bucket. You, didn't you ride with Drew? Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah, no, but Drew's gone. He, he and uh, people are like, man, I was going to head out in like another hour and a half, but I'll head up right now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, good. So I can see another human being in an hour and a half yeah. and not three hours. Yeah. And so people slowly trickled in at that point. Everybody ended up there by midnight. We stayed up for an hour, an hour or so. Yep. Everybody... Decided to get a like quick nap in the truck, and then at two I wake up to a dude rolling in. Mm-hmm. So I'm like trying to wake up Sam, who's next to me, beating on trucks. Like everybody, get up, because like first dude's here. We got to get to the field. Somebody figured out that the guy just lived ten minutes away and showed up that early because he was excited. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? Because it was Same. also it was also raining. So we went out to the field. We got into our spot by like two thirty. We sat there for like four hours until it was light enough. And like 10 minutes before shooting, like no kidding, this family piles in right on top of us. And we're talking like 10 feet away. 10 feet away. And then just took our birds all morning. So that was dope. Yeah. We just kept shooting them. And 
and they would pull up and shoot before we were able to shoot. They were coming yeah. from our opposite side from where yeah. they were sitting. They were shooting, and the all of a sudden, they'd like call the shot before any of us even pulled the trigger. And we're like, "You got to be kidding me!" They'd come through. We'd shoot birds, and then they just had they had a pack of like twelve year old kid bird dogs that would just all run out and grab the birds that were on the ground. Man. So that was cool. Yeah. That's Public land. Yep. Yeah. Public land, guys. <laughs> yeah. It is really cool that we have such a resource, but in times like that, you're like, this is not. Man, and that's a cool hunt. Like, that spot It is, is a cool hunt. It's managed for doves by the yeah. Missouri Department of Conservation. You hide in some, they cut strips, so you hide in some grass along these. It is, it's, it's really like a tailgate to the beginning of hunting season. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I'm, I'm new to this, so I don't know, but I wonder, they extended dove season this year. Um, it went for like two months or something. And uh, obviously, like seeing the teal right now, I mean, I saw doves like up until two weeks ago. I was sitting. I saw some the other day. And yeah, I was, I was sitting in a Milo field in Oklahoma this morning and a dove buzzed the decoys. Exactly. So it's like, I wonder if we hit that spot near the end of dove season when everyone's already hunted it. You know, they're all done with it. You know, if we hit it a month and a half after opening day, what if it's uh, happening again? Sure. I always see them late archery season um, on the main property that we hunt. I went out there probably two weeks ago or so, and I was just walking out to my tree stand, and probably 20 doves took off in the trees. And it's a lot of fun late season. Uh, I mean, obviously you can't hunt doves now, but like the last week of dove season, when the, when the leaves have all fallen off the trees, you can actually see where they land. You can creep up underneath them. Yeah. And that spot that we hunt, it's perfect because there's a bean field and a corn field and you can sit in the tree line and they'll pick up from that and they'll come to the first bare tree that they find and land. And so we've had phenomenal dove hunts out there, but yeah, that, uh, that spot, it's always going to be good. I don't, I think every year we'll kill birds, but the, the word's getting out and a lot more people show up. I can't so. believe how many people were there this year. Yeah. Drew, what about you? What about me? Uh, I mean, I guess you've introed yourself yeah, I, multiple I, times. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. Drew's dog survived. Yes. Oh Te- yeah. His Te- dog did survive. Yeah. Teddy made it. Oh, that was Teddy. He, he uh, what a great dog. <laughs> Chad, Chad does. Chad loves that dog. <laughs> Drew, okay, a little history on Teddy. Drew gets this dog, and it's a Labradoodle. And he's like, dude, uh, poodles have actually historically been really good bird dogs, and, uh, and it's got lab in it, so it's also a good dog. And he's like, dude, this dog is going to be lights out. We're finally going to have a good bird dog in the group. And so everyone's pumped. And then, what was it, probably two months into owning it, you were like, this is the dumbest dog. Yeah. <laughs> the dumbest yeah. dog ever. Not even, it wasn't it being dumb, because he does have like, he does have a nose and can like do a blind retrieve, which is cool. Yeah. But he's just like Moses. Like, yeah. Like, right out of the gate, like, once he started growing up a little bit, like, I noticed his his fur slash hair, like, you yeah, know, poodle mixes not, have. If, like, if eventually a, I started realizing that he wasn't going to be enough poodle. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, because you can just, like, take two fingers and see skin. Yep, real thin. Real thin, so the, he would freeze to death for one. Yeah. If there is a cocklebur in 40 acres, he'll find it. Oh, and, yeah. and it'll be a mess getting it out of yeah, the Yeah, like, Mackenzie tonight, my wife, she was like, why don't you guys just take Teddy with you, like, 
why not? And I was like, because there's 200 acres of cockaburros yeah. around this pond. And he would just be one giant cockaburro. By the you end of the you day. would get covered in them if you had like heavy duty canvas pants on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's that it's bad. Brutal. <laughs> if you had fleece on and you looked at it from a mile away, you would have them. Yeah, they just, I think they migrate to human beings. They might have like a heat sensor Magnetism on them. or something. Yeah. 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 But we're going to hunt a spot tomorrow. We call it, I mean, what do you guys call it? I call it the butterfly ponds. So the, the property is called the Smith Bottoms. Uh, my grandpa bought it from some guys who were not the Smith brothers, but they, uh, they at some point lived there, right? It's a piece that he bought um, a while back, and it's phenomenal uh, game land with the one exception that about every three years, the reservoir uh, that's down the river, it sits on uh, a river and a creek. So it's this little like kind of peninsula. The river that turns into a reservoir will back up and it'll sit under you know, 20 or 30 feet of water for four months. And yeah. so it's really difficult to m- actually manage it, to put in any food or anything like that. Just any infrastructure. Yeah, any infrastructure. We had some, uh, we built some blinds and put them on the pond at one point in time. And I think they're both on the property still, but yeah. they are somewhere <laughs> else. Yeah. So. Uh, you need to just watch the weather app. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's really accurate, and you'll know exactly what. Well, and and we, we've talked about that. Of, yeah. Of, like, doing, like, a, I think there's a some sled style. Sled or, style, chain it to a tree. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Or if, if the river's coming up and the neighbor calls Yeah, just us, pull the tractor down. Yeah, and drag it up to there's, his house. There's, it's, it's, a really, it's a really great place for hunting and virtually nothing else. But it's this bottom land, and there's some... There's some hardwoods on it. There's a few sloughs. And then there's these two ponds that I think are purpose built for waterfowl hunting. Yeah. They're, you know, uh, a foot to two feet deep all the way across. And they sort of look like two butterfly wings. I always used to call them the lungs. They don't really look like lungs. I don't know where yeah. that came from, but it's these two like almost mirror image ponds. And it's, um, they've got trees on three sides of them and the river to the back or the creek to the back. And um, there's just a lot of traffic. You're hunting traffic. There are some duck clubs on the north side of the river that provide some food. There's a refuge six miles west of there that has historically been very good hunting. Um, and especially on a day like today, the last time we hunted it on Thursday, everything was locked up. So we busted a hole and we didn't get a ton of birds, but all those teal uh, worked straight in just like they worked in Did, like ad walls, like just no hesitation yeah. and just like flipping right. That's into awesome. So when it's the X, it's the X it's great. But like the problem is it's really hard to turn it into the X if it's not the X. Yeah. Did, did you guys hunt like that bottom inside corner the of the right spot. wing? Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's same. like where we, hunting. I don't think butterflies have groins, but if they did, it would <laughs> yeah, be like be the butterfly groin right side of the groin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, for whatever reason, there's this one spot in the lakes that they want to be. And we it's it's hard because there's not much cover there. Um, so we would always work the edges where there's a lot of buck brush and, and some trees, some cover where you can build in a blind. And then finally, we just decided, like, let's brush up this A-frame and hunt this exposed side. And the first time we did that, it it was me, you, and Drew, you being Dan, and uh, we shot 
13. Um, 13. Seven Spoonies and six Mallards. And yeah. they did it. The and exact a bonus same. crow. And a bonus crow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we just How say, was that? Did you eat that? We just say, yeah, I just, I ate it raw. We just say, bro. Just a bro. Yeah. Bonus, bonus crow. Bonus crow. Bonus crow. Bro. Um, yeah. We shot yeah. a bro. Not a Chad. Not a Chad. Not a Chad. Not a just a, a different Thank type goodness. of bro. Yeah. Uh, so they did it the same way. Like every bird that wanted in there worked in, and we didn't have very many groups that passed. So it's it's a great spot. We're really looking forward to it. I shot, actually, it's it's great for whitetail as well. I shot the biggest deer I've ever shot this year, um, you know, 200 yards west of those ponds. Yeah. That's awesome, man. We, uh, this is my third time being up here, I think. Yeah, I think so. And um, the first time we came out here, we were actually doing a photo shoot for yep. um, a company. And I was like, man, this seems like it would be an awesome coyote property. Yeah. And so we're sitting on the porch and all of a sudden we look out and there's so, a coyote. Just so there's two portions. This is like sort of the upland portion. And then on the other side of the creek, we also own that. And that's like the bottom land. So this has, this is a cabin that sits overlooking 40 acres of um, whatever. We, we have a, uh, we lease it to a farmer who like basically splits profit with us. And so nice. in the winter, it's usually planted in winter wheat. In the fall, it's usually like, uh, like a bean field. And so, um, <laughs> we're all, we're all doing sign language right now to drew who's getting drinks. Uh, there, so it's, it's looking out over a winter wheat field right now at the time it was probably planted. I don't know what it would have been planted in. Maybe the beginning of beans. Yeah. Probably the beginning of beans. But so, yeah, we, there was a coyote like right away and yeah. then we're getting ready to go and start shooting, yeah. like taking pictures and stuff. I mean, we had duck decoys. It wasn't season, but we were just going out there with. Yeah, this company to, was releasing stuff. They wanted it to be ready by season. So we had to sort of like stage a uh, stage a hunt. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good. Take. Well, yeah, we um, we saw a coyote and then we saw maybe the same coyote or a different coyote. Uh -huh. And I was like, hey, man, like how how quickly do we have to be ready? Because I kind of want to go after this thing. And I had thought about bringing my rifle out. And I was like, nah, I better not. I don't want to turn this into a coyote hunt. Like, I'm here for this photo shoot. And all I had was my shotgun. Well, luckily, we had some rounds. And so I loaded my gun up and took off after this coyote. I get out to this tiny little knob, but I couldn't see where the coyote went. And I peek my head over, and it's like 40 yards laying down. And I'm like, what the heck? Out in the middle of the day, yep. just laying in this little dip in the field. And so I go out to it, and I get probably 30 yards, but I'm using, like, number four shot. And so I was like, I am not going to take this shot just yet. And then I see it stand up. It never looks at me, and it just, like, slowly walks under the cedar. And I'm thinking, okay, it's going to go bed down in the shade in the cedar because it was pretty warm out and i go over there never saw it again super bummed i was like man a spot and stock shotgun coyote hunt that yeah. would have been really cool yeah that spot is awesome for all types of wildlife because it there's a, a row of trees that lead from this public land across into that draw and then there's just like 30 yards of like open that the animals move across it's definitely a pinch point 
into some other hardwoods. So those those animals, both deer, coyotes, anything like to move across that. It was just definitely odd that he was out in broad daylight, especially on such a hot day. Oh yeah, and he didn't seem to have mange, but he was moving slow. Like something yeah. had happened to him. Yeah. Throughout the throughout the summer or the spring. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was moving slow, but never did connect with him. I just feel like this could be a killer spot for shooting coyotes and even bobcats. Yeah. But how, how much higher is this? Do you know elevation-wise how much higher this is than the Smith the Smith Flats? Um, let's see. I would guess 125 feet off the okay. river. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a cool place. Everyone kind of dreams of having that family deer camp spot. Yeah. And your grandpa has done a great job turning this into that. Yeah. I try and remember to thank him every time I see him just like, because the more I hunt, the more I'm like, man, I'm so fortunate. Oh yeah. How, uh, how often do you get to come up here? I mean, it's not that far. Yeah. Do you do a lot of bow hunting up here or do you have land closer to home? No, I don't. I honestly don't get to do a lot of bow hunting, but I've decided I finally got a setup that I really like that's pretty run and gun. And so I'm, I've been patterning the deer. We've not historically used any game cameras. So uh, it's just a matter of like being up here and watching the deer and spending time. So I finally patterned him to the point where I feel really good about it. But we'll throughout the hunting season end up here once every other week. If birds are in the area, we'll try and come up a couple of times a week. It's definitely something that I've been making the drive for a lot more, like, the further I get, like, just knowing the area, knowing how to hunt the area, knowing... Because um, my grandpa loves hunting by himself, and so that entails a very specific type of hunting. Like, last year for the opener, I had a couple of buddies in, and I was like, hey, Grandpa, you want to go duck hunt with us? We're going to hunt the opener on the, on the, in the Smith Bottoms. He's like, okay. So we show up. We set the spread. We brush in the blind. We're feeling good about it. He shows up and goes and sits on the other pond like 200 yards away, <laughs> shoots two teal, and leaves by 730. <laughs> like, See ya. So that's his idea of hunting with someone. Yeah. And so um, a lot of the hunting that we do is stuff that we've just figured out. Like, all right, let's try this. That didn't work. Okay, let's try this. That didn't work. You know, uh, I think, and I, I, I don't mean to paint a negative picture of my grandpa, but I think he just came from a generation where it's like, hey man, uh, figure it out. You know, I, I remember like asking him how to, how to drive a tractor. And he's like, I figured out how to drive a tractor on my own. It's like, okay. So, uh, as I figured out how to hunt this property for whatever we're hunting, it's, uh, it's become something that I've been doing a lot more like coyotes is something that has been on the mind a lot this season. I've never successfully hunted a coyote up here. I've shot coyotes while I'm deer hunting or whatever, but, but actually going out targeting coyotes. Yeah. Like you guys, uh, we were up here for duck hunting. Uh, was it last month, December? Yeah. And, uh, a couple of weeks ago. We, the plan was to go down to the bottoms, right, and set up everything, set the brush in the blind, set the spread or whatever. So on the way in, we run into my grandpa, who lives just like 10 miles south of here. 
Oh, what are you up to? Oh, nothing. We're going to go set the blind on the bottoms. I haven't looked at it in a month, you know. And he's like, oh, well, me and Neil are going to hunt. Neil's his nephew. Me and Neil are going to hunt the bottoms. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, we'll hang out up here. It's like, so we get to the cabin, get settled. And we're like, well, you want to go hunt this little, there's this little cattle pond that's like 150 yards from the cabin. It's like, okay. So Drew and uh, Dan took their rifles to sit and watch the bean field and call coyotes. And I sat on the pond and it, they ended up calling in a ring neck for me, which was nice of them. <laughs> With the coyote call. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no success, but it's like, that should have been perfect. Okay. Yeah. So why? Why wasn't that perfect? Maybe they weren't around, but then like that night we could hear them and they weren't that far off in two different directions. So like, uh, I think with this place, I've really been enjoying like, okay, I know how to hunt deer here. I can kill a deer any day. Yeah. What about coyotes? Let's figure that out. I I feel like it would be cool. This would be a perfect property to trap and especially the, the bottom land. If you could come up here, stay up here for like a week and then really try to hone in trapping that's something i've watched a lot of videos on lately i've never really done it but i've always been intrigued by it because i hear a lot of people say if if you're a good trapper you're probably one of the best type of outdoorsmen you have to learn animals how they travel where they travel when they do what gets them to react and then scent control is a huge thing yep on the trapping side so um what about what about everybody's seasons this year so far? I mean, kind of all in because we just ended twenty twenty one, and it's been it's been slow for me. But I know you guys have had some awesome success. Drew, what did uh, what what did your season look like? Um, this season, I have hunted quite a bit. You know, probably three to four days a week. I'm in a tree stand or bird hunting. Uh, shot some does and I shot one really nice buck. Um, just, it's been slow though. Like it's the only reason why I've been able to do that is because I'm hunting way more than I usually am. Yeah. And, uh, you know, luckily I have a job that allows that working for myself and just put some seat time in, in the stand yeah well you shot that buck you messaged me and you're like dude i just got a buck down yeah and you sent me a picture of it and i was like holy cow like where are you hunting yeah that wasn't your everyday buck yeah and it wasn't your everyday hunt no yeah (laughs) so i uh i have a a spot that's right on city limits of town where we live and it's a spot that we actually have an ongoing construction project that that's probably never going to end that's that's how most construction yeah but i have a i have permission from the landowner to set up there it's right on a creek that feeds into a river it's literally the last property before city limits like i'm hunting like pretty much the city limit line and so you have all these deer that are on this you know that are running this channel of creek beds and river beds and stuff, and they all come through this property. Um, and this year, you know, we were hunt. You know, me and you early season hunted out where we usually hunt and haven't been seeing stuff. So I started just hunting the 
you know, city property more with my bow. And this year just worked out to, you know, one night sitting in a tree stand for 15 minutes and sitting, you know, 20 to 25 feet up in my climber because of scent control, trying to be above, above that window. Super windy. The wind was blowing right where the deer were coming from, but I was high enough up that it didn't matter. Well, yeah, because like even if the deer are 30 yards away, you're probably close to, what, 40 feet above them yeah. because of the way the terrain slopes. Right. And so luckily it just, like I said, it just worked out that this buck was chasing a doe. It was, it's honestly the only buck I've seen this year chasing a doe. Um, and I had my binos on him as soon as he's like walked across the creek and contemplated shooting him for a while. He wasn't, he wasn't like super tall and super wide, like you would think, but he had quite a few points on him and, um, he came right pretty much to the base of my tree, laid down for 20 minutes and, I think I might have t texted you before or right after I shot him. Yeah, right say, after. Saying that, like, I was really kicking it around, like, did I shoot this thing? And uh, I I counted 11 points on him before I shot him. And I got up to him, and he ended up being a 13-point. Uh, just just yeah, a lucky you, day. Yeah, when you called me, you are like, dude, I just shot a buck. I was kind of debating whether or not to shoot it, you know, because we're trying to – this year, in the past couple of years, we've kind of gone towards a certain age class. Yeah, trying to um, manage a little bit better and, yeah, and be smarter. And you were like, dude, I got out here and I was waiting for a subcontractor to show up. And I had like 20 minutes. So I went and got in my climber, went up the tree, and right away these deer all came in. Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me? I've put so many hours in this year. Yeah. And it's just been a struggle. I've had a tough year. Um, you were also yeah. mad because I was kept telling you I was contemplating shooting it. Oh yeah, well you sent, sent me the, the you sent me the picture first. That's I how it went. Hesitated a you sent me the deer. picture first, a couple pictures, and then you text me and you're like, "Yeah, I was contemplating shooting this." And I was like, "Dude, if I ever hear you say that about a deer that looks like that again, <laughs> I'm just gonna kick you as hard as I can between <laughs> the legs." And uh, anyways, you well, we ended up talking on the phone after that and you kind of told me the story yeah. but you had was it the same spot the other the other morning that you yeah. had what you said would have been the biggest buck of your life that came through yeah and honestly that 13 point like it's not like the tallest widest thing i've ever shot definitely the most points and I'm, Boo, it's, stop apologizing <laughs> <laughs> i suck i'm sorry uh it's it's not the biggest buck i've ever killed like, the buck I shot last year was the biggest buck I've ever killed in Ash Grove. Um, just, that thing was just big. A tank, yeah. In every way possible. Um, but, yeah, the, the deer that walked underneath me last week, like, minutes before shooting light, um, just couldn't see the, you know, couldn't see my sight, and I knew it wasn't time to shoot yet. Looked at my phone, a couple minutes left, and he was smart. He came through, did what he needed to do and went on into the woods and hunkered down. It's amazing to see how comfortable deer get in the presence of humans when they're around them all the time. Like right there on the edge of city limits, the deer inside of city limits, and then even um, people who are on their property all the time. 
Like if yeah. you're out yeah. working, farming, I hear stories of people seeing giant deer and lots of deer, like big mature does, which in my mind are, or in my opinion, are sometimes harder to shoot than mature bucks. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, every time I drive the four-wheeler, they just don't even seem to mind. I'm yeah. in the truck. They don't seem to mind. And so I've kind of adopted that mentality on the property that I hunt because I'm out there three days a week walking out, checking trail cameras. I just – I've thought about switching to cellular cameras, but the whole act of being out in the woods is what I love. And so if that was taken you, away and all I did was get alerts on my phone, I think that would – that would uh, – take away from the experience. Altogether. It literally so disconnects you. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Like, people are like, Oh man, I can monitor it all the time. I can do this. But then I've been seeing lately like Arizona, they banned, Nevada. Stuff. they, they banned it, uh, Nevada. And now I think Utah as well. Yep. And so we've got a lot of States out West that are making it illegal to use trail cameras for hunting purposes. So uh, I've been really fascinated with this lately because like, there's this guy named Gordon McQuarrie who was uh, touted as the first full-time outdoor uh, columnist for a newspaper, right? Yeah. He wrote hunting stuff for newspapers, right? So he has a bunch of articles that have been collected in some volumes, and I was reading those. Old st- uh, More Stories of the Old Duck Hunters. It's his second volume. And he talks about hunting with live decoys, how he had these two mallards that he'd put a tether on their leg and <laughs> He'd hunt in the marsh. You know, it used to be fine to do that. And today it'd be abhorrent, right? Because yeah. it's been outlawed. Yeah. And yet, like, when I think about that versus, like, cell camera cameras, I'm like, What's which one difference? of these gives you a bigger advantage? Yeah. Like, and it, and, it, and it all comes back to, like, what are you used to? Like, for me, when I hear about people baiting deer in other states, I'm like, ugh. What are yep. you doing? Right? But, like, w- the thing is, like, that's not the culture that I grew up in. Yeah. And so like, that's my problem with it. Is it morally incorrect? Well, if a bunch of bio- biologists in the state agency say, Hey, this is an okay method of take because we have such a overpopulated uh, group of deer. Then it's like, well, then there's nothing really morally wrong with it. I just don't like it. Cause it's not my thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I don't have to like it. I don't have to do it, but there's a huge difference between like morally wrong and uh, not what I'm used to. Yeah. yeah, for sure. There are some resident birds on my dad's property. We've got two ponds that are pull ducks pretty regularly. This year in early teal season, I got one teal. Um, we have like a two foot deep, probably 40 feet wide pond out in the middle of a cow pasture. And it was like total luck. We were just like bullshitting, talking loud, walking through the field and walked up to the edge of it and like 20 teal flew. Um, and I just shot one time, got one. Um, but there's some resident birds and it's like, they almost are decoys if I don't kill them. Sure. If I just yeah. leave them out there, like they, they make other birds feel safe. <laughs> so it's like, I won't shoot them. They're just two little wood ducks, but yeah. they're there all the time, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, and, it's interesting to see all the debates going on and, and people's strong opinion about certain styles of hunting that yeah. they've never done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to think that because it's something you're unfamiliar with, you're uncomfortable with it. And you think that it shouldn't be legal just blows my mind. Incredible example. I'm uncomfortable with hunting deer with dogs, right? Yeah. Like full disclosure. It's a, it's a huge part of Southern culture, East coast culture, whatever you want to say. Um, and coming to grips with that, it's like, Oh, it's just not what I'm used to. Right. Because like 
What's the difference between hunting a deer with a dog and hunting a bird with a dog? There isn't any. There's literally nothing different except I grew up with bird dogs and I didn't grow up with deer hounds. See, and I don't know that I'd say there's nothing different or like, because when I say there's nothing different, I mean, there's nothing morally different. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's not like, it's not like this is somehow abhorrent because this guy has fur and this guy has feathers. Yeah. Right. It's just like the different culture. If we introduced deer hunting with dogs here, it would be problematic probably because we would over harvest. Yeah. But in places where there is a large enough population and there is a tradition, it's like, there's probably nothing wrong with that. Am I ever going to hunt deer with dogs? Probably not. Yeah. That's why I I think the morality with any type of hunting is once year effectiveness starts to go down. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even with uh, deer hunting with dogs, I see just, I mean, I have no personal experience with it. I don't think I know anybody who's actually done it, but in watching videos of it, seeing the style and how they set up, like, I think I was watching a video from South Carolina on YouTube and they were running hounds and pushing deer through. Well, the public land that they were on, there's basically a stake and you have to pick which area you're hunting or draw for it. I'm not exactly sure on, on that property, but you have to be within like 50 feet of that stake. Okay. And then the dogs push the deer, deer across a path. And a lot of those guys are using buckshot. Yep. And the one specific video that sticks out to me, this deer comes running through, hits the path and is running directly away from the hunter. And he just starts peppering it with buckshot. And so in my mind, no matter what method you do, whether it's right or wrong, whether or not you agree with it, I feel like every animal deserves a swift death An ethical if kill. it's by the hands yeah. of a human. Yeah, for right? sure. And so I'm curious to know the, the amount of deer that are shot using that method that have, are never harvested, never recovered, whatever, versus places where you can use a rifle. Yeah. But I mean, there's plenty of states that don't allow dogs and only allow shotguns. Yeah. It is interesting, like the, the like how conservations ran in America, it's all state by state basis and then yeah. even county by county basis on numbers, you know, so you get, you get a very personalized version of hunting. And yeah, I think what you said, like it comes down to the individuality of the kill. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you, pepper one with buckshot and it gets away. That's pretty messed up. So like devil's advocate on this, I think is we tend to judge things that were uncomfortable or unfamiliar or foreign, uh, by the worst actors in that sphere. And then judge the things that we're comfortable with by by the the best best actors. actors. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. human nature. (laughs) And, and like even saying that I still do it right. Even though that I'm aware of that, I'm still like, I don't know about them though. You know, So, like, absolutely a valid concern. I I toy around with with the idea of, I mean, I have no say in this, but looking at the the amount of people that are voting on certain things or, like, during during the elections, you can can vote on wolf reintroduction or something Mm -hmm. like that. I like the idea, in theory, of... If you have contributed to the hunting community, you can vote on hunting-related things. And I know that probably goes against a lot of American values, but in my mind, it's like the people who are affected by this the most should have 
more weight in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, like, I, I look at it as with my family, right? I wouldn't let you guys dictate how I raise my children. That's up to me and my wife. We are the ones who kind of have that responsibility. And I think another part of the reason I would like that is because then a lot of non-hunters are going to be buying hunting tags so that they have a say in what happens and it's just more money towards conservation okay. so like <laughs> yes but also like in a state where missouri uh has an eight cent sales tax then does everybody get to vote because like everybody who spends anything retail is pouring into the conservation coffers yeah like yeah i mean i i don't know how you would go about doing it i just don't like to see all of all of the yeah, the politicization. Of yeah, yeah. It. Well, like, people, I people feel who bad are about so disconnected yeah, from it. I feel like, bad about you hunting bears because bears are cute. Well, that yeah. gets back like, to like the Whoa. how do you get like individual restraint in voters? Where it's like there are things on the ballot where I go and vote, and it's like I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm not going to fill that in. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and well, it's like how do we get a culture of people voting on what they know about, but also telling them like, hey, maybe learn about what you don't know about. So there's yeah. this really incredible book by a guy named Wendell <laughs> <No>. Berry. <laughs> That's not going to happen. There's this really incredible book by this guy named Wendell Berry called "The Unsettling of America: Culture and Agriculture," in which he talks about how the breakdown of society is mirrored in the breakdown of, or maybe even caused by the breakdown of our connection with agriculture. Right. Yeah. And I was reading this book and I was like, holy crap. Look at the publication date, 1977. And I'm like, what? Like, it felt <laughs> like it was written yesterday. But, yeah. like, it's, it's too deep to go into. But one of the things that he talks about, which is so fascinating, is this idea that the problem with our... He's talking about the problem with our identity as consumers. Like, we have been, like, distilled down into this, like, buy this, buy this. I use this brand. I use this, right? And so, like, the problem with us being consumers is it essentializes us into this one like little shard of our identity. And then we get really into these things like consumer advocacy groups, like the Sierra Club or like the NRA. Oh, that stuff's great. And like- All of that's right? great. So like <laughs> among a myriad problems with these things is this idea that these things can advocate for our rights, but they can never advocate for our responsibilities. Responsibilities are our personal choice, Individual. right? Yeah. So it's like, I should be able to own guns. And it's like, yeah, you absolutely should. Also, you should probably practice safe procedures with your guns. Like, if you're going to have your guns out, maybe put a trigger lock on them or, like, yeah. maybe get a gun safe, like, so your kids don't grab, you know, like, yeah. a consumer advocacy group can never advocate for that because it's only engineered for, like, I want, I want, I want. And in the same way, like, that hunting thing of, like, I should be able to, it's like, yeah, but also you should, I should be able to hunt. Like this, and it's like, yeah, but also you should only take ethical thought shots, and you should make sure yep. that. So well, it's like this problematic thing. So like, what's the counterpoint to those consumer advocacy? Was it you the other morning that was taking the trigger lock off your shotgun? Oh yeah, big yeah. boy, big boy move. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, well, that, that was like displaying exactly what you're talking about. It it is okay. So like, without getting too far down this rabbit hole, yeah. I I read this quote the other day. And it was talking about the civil rights movement. So this is off topic, but it's like, if you're wondering what you would have done during the civil rights movement, you're doing it right now. Yeah. And so like, paint that with a broad brush. It's like, if you're wondering what you're doing with gun safety. What are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? Well, yeah. it's like, oh man, I have, a, I have a gun safe. I have a lot of guns in there. I also have six guns that are always out. And I have kids and they are getting to the point where they are cognizant of these things and yeah. they're curious. And it's like, why don't I have gun 
locks on all of my guns. Like, because it's like, yeah, I should do that. Yeah, I should do that. And then your kids get a gun and somehow they find the ammunition or whatever. I keep my ammunition in our garage, which is detached from our house, but it's like, what if they found yeah, it? Do they not have legs? <laughs> like, yeah, can they so not like, walk? <laughs> so, like, what are you doing about it now? In the, in the same context, it's like, if you care about con- conservation, if you care about hunting, like, you know, what would I have done during the 1930s when things were being extirpated from the land? It's like, well, you're doing it right now. Yeah. It's yeah. like, are you doing 100%. the bare minimum or are you going above and beyond? Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. Now, if you spend any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain or in the marsh or in the woods, you felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention it smells great, so now when I get home after a week of elk hunting, my wife can't complain as much. I need to tell you though, I've gotten to know Brian, the founder over the past couple months, and he's an awesome guy. He makes all of this by hand in North Dakota out of clean products. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions, or even something awesome like helping donate money to cover the surgery costs of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out Bull Elk Beard Oil and you can get 20% off with the code NOMADIC. That's well, even even as I'm saying all of this, looking at there's plenty of um, wildlife agencies or or organizations that advocate for hunters' rights and ha- ethical hunting and all of this stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm not a part of all of these. And there is a financial commitment right? to it. Sure. But also, I do try to go to different seminars, different open... Um, open forums like when mdc puts them on last year we went to one about waterfowl seasons and dates and limits and all of that stuff of course some of that is federally run so we have no say in it but as far as missouri goes uh you could come and give your input and vote and they did that all across the state so that the hunters have a say in when we want to see the splits in our season, when we want to see the season start versus end and no matter what for ducks it's like 60 days total but you can break that up into different yeah. chunks. And so it's cool to see that Missouri Department of Conservation is bringing biologists in, sitting them down in a room full of people from a specific area, talking to them and saying, what would be better for hunters? Yeah. And then on top of that, they have teams of biologists that study and can educate us and say, hey, this is what we think would be the best. We want your input and we want to know what you're actually seeing out there in the field because we're not able to be out there all the time. Yeah. And so I think almost taking away from what my previous statement was, I think it's more about education and just trying to get that out there to the masses, whether yeah. it's hunters or non-hunters. It could be bird watchers. It could just be people who like to get out and hike to yeah. educate them what we're doing right now, what we could do better and then they can make an educated vote on it. Well, yeah, Unlike vote on what vote on said. what you know about yeah. and learn about what you don't know about. Don't feel like you have to check whoa, a whoa, box whoa, whoa, whoa. always. <laughs> I know. I, and it's funny, too, because I feel like we're talking about like one of those like points in America where it's like conservation does a really good job. Like the conservation yeah, department do. actually has like scientists and people in that field who went to school for it. And then they interact with us, the hunters, to come up with decisions. Yeah. And it's like, it actually works. It's like one part of the government where everyone's like, yeah, conservation's like pretty sick, you know? Yeah. And 
it's funny that it doesn't seem to apply elsewhere, but in conservation, it's it like works. Even I've, talking about the conservation like agents, yeah, with, with the reach that they can use. Yeah, I tagged out in my county this year, and a conservation agent called me and was like, "Hey, like, are you in the woods?" And I was like, "No, I'm not." And he's like, "Cool, because you've like shot your tag limit. Don't go back out yeah, in that yeah. county." And I was like, "Oh, cool." You know, yeah, he informed you, yeah, of something that yeah. you're not used to. Because well, and this it was is your first year. Well, yeah, and it's like used to. They had pamphlets you got when you bought tags, yeah. and now it's all online. And no joke, it probably took me like three hours of looking to find that on the Missouri Conservation website. But the fact that he called me yeah. shows you like the, how that department works. Yeah. You know? they, they, they actually are, care about what's happening. They yeah. are so involved, and I was pleasantly surprised when I did move down here and started waterfowl hunting seeing the different properties and how they're managed by MDC and not necessarily organizations like Ducks Unlimited, which yeah. they do amazing stuff. Delta Waterfowl does amazing stuff. But the actual Missouri Department of Conservation, they're out there pumping water from creeks that run through their properties and flooding milo fields and corn mm -hmm. fields and making habitat for doves and deer. And they're really trying to improve with the money that they're allotted. Yeah. And... I, I'm not saying that I haven't seen that in other states, but I was blown away by the scale of what they do here. So the uh, <clears throat> going back to the 1930s, there was this uh, Missouri's really unique and we're really fortunate not to say that other states don't have good agencies. Right. But there was this group of people called the Conservation Federation of Missouri, which is still a thing that is around and you can join that. You can pay your membership fee and um, it's a it's a hunter advocacy group. Right. But. Uh, they were like, hey, we have a problem here. So they form, and that is what led to the birth of Missouri Department of Conservation. And we're really fortunate because we have a science-based, biological-based agency that they claim to be independent of politics, right? And they are as much as you can, right? We have yeah, sure. four commissioners that are appointed by the governor, right? Yeah. So there's always going to be some politicking in there, but... Uh, they are pretty independent and they are pretty backed by science and they are pretty interested in what hunters have to say. Yeah. And so it's like really cool to see this. Uh, I was listening to a podcast this week and they were talking about how like cool it was that Missouri has a season in which you can hunt with an atlatl. It's like, dude, want to do it so bad. They, they were talking about how cool it is that Missouri is releasing new seasons. Two years ago was our first elk hunt. Yep. Yeah. This last year or this season was our first bear hunt. Yep. Like in, in a world in which like New, New Jersey is shutting down bear hunting because the governor is getting political pressure from his constituents because they feel weird about us hunting charismatic megafauna. And in a world in which the commissioners are not, or there, there are commission seats sitting empty in Washington, the state, not DC, Washington. And so that has allowed them to put a, an effective ban on bear hunting in the spring we have a commission who's like, yeah, let's let's hunt bears. We have a sustainable population. It, hey, no. let's let's trade elk from Kentucky, and and establish a population so we can eventually hunt them. They're a native species here. Let's do that. You know, like, and and not only are they doing that, but they're getting blowback from it from people who are like, don't hunt our elk. And it's like, okay, that was unfair. I was condescending towards people who. Don't, yes. want to don't you hate when you find yourself doing yeah. something yeah. like that? You're like, why did I do that? But like, sure. it, it does, it does like kind of rile me up because it's like, I, I fully understand how you have this feeling of like, here's this majestic creature and yeah. I don't want to see it die. Right. And it's like, okay, well give me another situation in which we can, 
we can manage a healthy population other than hunting. Yeah. Because the North American model of conservation is getting hunters to buy in and fund conservation of animals. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that comes like, that's why we shoot things in the heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's because it's like, we don't want to see, like, it yeah. is a majestic animal. Like, they are cool. We yeah. don't want to see them die in a bad well, way. Well, and I, I've very rarely had negative interactions with people in person that want Man, more that's a knowledge. key right there. In, like person. in person. Oh, in person to Online, everything. Online, you'll always get stuff. Uh, yeah. Like, secondhand, you'll hear, like, oh, yeah, this person said that. But I like to have, like, conversations face-to-face -face with people. Yeah. And even uh, a girl that we met over the summer, we were in Colorado doing a competition, and she was on our team. And I talk about hunting all the time. Like, if you're around me for more than five minutes, you probably find out that I'm a hunter, and that's my number one passion. And she, she sat down with me, and she was like, I'm just curious, how can you shoot these animals and not just feel so bad and be crying about it? And she's a... Pescatarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only eats fish. And I, I just sat down and talked with her, and I was like, hey... This is, here's the reasons. And I laid out all of the stuff that uh, gun sales, license sales, um, any type of outdoor equipment, all of that yeah, goes towards, yeah, yeah, literally everything that I buy for hunting, it goes to, towards improving habitat and trying to maintain numbers and reintroduce species and all of this different stuff. Talking about how the NWTF and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and um, National Deer Alliance, all of these organizations without hunters wouldn't have funding, but they are helping grow numbers, getting them back to where they should be, um, spreading elk like to places like Kentucky and Arkansas and Missouri and Wisconsin and really all over the country, I think eventually is what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, I, I don't go out and hunt and I would never be like, I go out and hunt because I want to give deer the easiest death possible. But in all reality, we do as hunters, if you, if you practice, if you um, only take shots that you know you're going to kill the animal, you give them the best death that they're going to experience out in the wild. I mean, I've, I've seen the pictures and videos of deer that have been hamstrung by coyotes and are being eaten alive. Like that stuff happens in real life. People, yep. I think some people have this view of deer like, oh, they just sit out in a beautiful field and eat flowers their whole life. It's, it's a hard life for a deer. And I'm not saying they don't deserve to live, but I don't go out there and torture them. I don't no. pick them apart piece by piece until they die. If you think what hunters do is bad, wait until you find out what nature does. Yeah, yeah. go, well, well, go, go to nature's metal. I'm not like the great hero. Let's all cry together. Yeah. Sure, sure. But it's like I can delight in the pursuit and also feel the weight of killing something. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it is always an emotional thing for me. Yeah. Like, I don't ever go up and, like, ride on the deer and I'm like, yeah, yeah like, I got yeah. you type of thing. Yeah. I There's very much, like, a somber moment in there yeah. where I'm like, okay, like you said with your first deer, I just took the life of an animal. Like, that holds a lot of weight. Sort of the moment of silence, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I lay my hands on it and it's almost like, thank you. Thank you yeah. for giving your life so that we can have life and not that it like freely gave it, but like we took it and it was just cool to see someone who was very much against hunting and very much against humans killing animals as like a lesser species, if you will. And then she was like, wow, I didn't know a lot of that. Yep. Like in my mind, people are just out there 
like trophy hunt. with fully yeah. automatic wa- yeah. weapons just killing everything yeah. and only taking the antlers and i'm like that is that is the Not, farthest thing yeah. from yeah. what the vast majority of hunters yeah. do yeah. Well, so i'm glad you asked about my season yeah yeah i did <laughs> i killed a big buck yeah it's huge <laughs> no but like uh we did get get off on a tangent i want to hear about your season chad but i like one of the great things about uh working in the outdoor industry is you actually end up not getting to hunt that much so like i've been on so many hunts this year where like for me i can't i can't bring a gun and a camera right yeah it's like if i want to do my job well i i need to bring a camera you should buy a sling for your gun yeah (laughs) (laughs) if i'm if i'm like like i just can't do both well i can't because like if i have a gun with me i am hunting Right. Mm-hmm. You need one of those fancy mounts where your camera attaches to your gun and oh. then you set up a Are you setting up a sponsor trigger? They've gotta have a Picatinny mount for a camera. Come yeah, on. They, and they, then every yeah. time you it's pull the trigger, <laughs> it actually takes a yeah. picture. But what it happens, sounds really when I, dangerous you when it comes to, to the interview process. process. Yeah, <laughs> when I'm trying to photograph a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do product shoots anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so the the like it hasn't been until like the last two weeks that I've really started like hunting because mm-hmm. uh, I have some time. But two big things for me this season was uh, one, I got to take my daughter out for the opening day of duck season. And she's like, not, she's into hunting, but she's not into hunting. Like my dad got her a little 22 for her birthday. And uh, she loves that she has a 22 but mm-hmm. has yet to shoot it. Sure. She's very, very uncomfortable with it. And I definitely want to introduce her in a way that's like, hey, you are welcome, but you do not have to, right? Like, yes, that's the right move. Yeah. Doors always open. Off, but she really wants to go do things with dad, right? So mm-hmm. we, we came out and sat this little cattle pond right here for the opener and shot three woodies. That's the limit in Missouri in the first like 15 minutes and then just sat nice. there. And it was only wood ducks. So it's like nothing else to do, right? Yeah. And then she's like, I'm getting Dan excited. Yeah. I'm yeah. giving him a Woody. Um, yeah. So we sit there for a few minutes. You beat me to it. I was debating yeah. whether or not to yeah. go that route, but yes. So uh, we sit there for, you know, another 15 minutes. And then I'm like, you want to go get some, you want to go see grandma and grandpa? And she's like, yeah. So we just took off and it's like, this is awesome. Like this yeah. was not a lights out hunt, but it was like what I needed. Right. Yeah. And then um, you guys were talking about like, hunting for maturity, right? Looking for a certain age class of deer. Like we're probably never gonna be able to consistently plant our bottoms in row crops and like really breed some big deers. But one thing, deers? Deers, yeah, Yeah, you said it, that's okay. I think once you get to 2000, you put the S on it. Okay, deers. So, uh, but like one thing we can do to manage, right, is be selective in what we're taking. And so, I, I had this like moral confliction, like people, people want to talk about social media, right? Like here's the problem with social media. Now people only want it like, and it's like, okay, well like that's, that's a boring discussion because like social media is not going away. Right. We all, we all have it and it's here and I'm using it. And when I shoot a small deer and I post it on social media, I feel bad. Right. So a few years ago I was like, I either need to figure out how to stop apologizing for the deer I'm shooting or stop shooting deer that I I feel like I need to apologize for, right? Yep. Yeah. So I go out opening morning of rifle season, and the first buck that I see is this. It turned out to be an 11 point, but uh, it was it a was, good deer. It, it, was, it was a good deer, but it, it was, was also awesome. thin, and it was just like, I don't think it was ever going to be a phenomenal deer, but it was like 
it felt young to me. And so like I'm conflicted about this and I go back and forth and he's hanging out in this field and then eventually he gets close enough to shoot. I'm like, all right, I'm a shooter, right? So I pull up my gun, he sees me, spooks. And I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't meant to be, right? So then like I see this like young eight point and he's chasing three does across the field. And I'm like, man, that's a, that's a deer, that's a good deer, right? But like, he's gonna be a great deer. Like yep. he's, he's two and a half, maybe, maybe three and a half, but I think he's two and a half. And so I pass on him and then I see like a pretty decent eight point and then he's followed by a good eight point. And then I'm like, now like my barometer's totally off. I'm like, yep. I don't know what a good deer is. I don't know what a bad deer <laughs> is. Like, was this, so, was this the sick hunt? Like when you're sick? No, no that, was that, was that was last year. Yeah. yeah, that was last year. Okay. God bless me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like I sit all morning, late morning, don't end up seeing anything that I'm like, lights out, that's gonna kill. So get back. Nobody else in the family had seen anything. My cousin hasn't shot a buck in a few years. And so I wanted to go back and sit this field because I was like, there's going to be a bruiser come through here. I just know it, right? But my cousin is like, just wanting to kill a buck. And I'm like, all right, go sit that tonight. You're, you're going to kill something for sure, right? I go and sit this field that is out in front of the cabin, and I see all, it, all the does you can show, shoot it. What's the phrase? Shake a stick at. Shake a stick at, yeah. All the dough you can shoot. Shake you got it. We heard it. Fair enough. I believe you. No, 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 no bucks though. So I sit there all night and like five minutes before sunset, all the does spook and these four coyotes come out from the corner Two split off two go one way two go the other way. And they're obviously trying to circle up a fawn or something and destroy it. So I shoot one of the coyotes and climb down from the stand. You know, that's opening day. Come back, my cousins shot that 11 point that came in in the morning. And it, it felt good because it's like, I'm glad he got that buck, but like, that's not the buck I wanted, right? Yeah. That, that, that buck is a buck that I would feel like, you know, you know the thing, you post a picture of it and you're like, hey, wasn't what I was looking for, but yeah. like really thankful for the opportunity, you know what I mean? Like, and it's the thing that I hate to do, but like I can't help myself from doing. So like that was confirmation and he was stoked on it. So it was cool. But I go out the next morning, my dad's already tagged out. And so he sits a stand on the opposite side of the field, just hanging out. He thinks like, I've got my pistol on me. It'd be cool to shoot a doe with a pistol. Um, but other than that, like I'll just help Isaac get a deer if he gets one. Sitting there all morning, I see one raccoon and it's like three hours in and I'm like, man, I messed up. Like I passed on like some shooter bucks yesterday and that was it, right? And then about that time, I'm like, man, I should get my gun ready. Like, I just got that feeling. You know how you oh, get, like, man. that sixth There's sense? Like, like, yeah. Almost like your ears are ringing. <clears throat> yeah, like, 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 I don't know why, but I need to get my gun ready. So I pull it up, and I set it up here, but, like, I, I, I bail out halfway through. I, I have my scope cover on. For whatever reason, I didn't chamber around. And I'm just sitting there drinking coffee, and I look over, and at, like, 225 yards, there is this... I didn't get a good look at the rack, but you you know when you see a mature deer who's yeah. like, I'm in my element, this is my place, and he's just like walking, head down, taking a couple of bites, but just like, you know the posture is like. Yeah, it's like seeing a like a, a track star versus yeah. seeing a bodybuilder. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how yeah. how big of biceps they have, you just know that's a giant. Yeah. That, that's a bruiser. Like, so yeah. <laughs> I, I like rip the scope cover off, chamber around, get my, my hearing protection in, um, 
and I get my scope up on him and he's looking directly at me and I'm like, this is a deer I'm proud of. Bang. He goes down and I can't see him, but I can see the rack, like part of the rack just sticking up above the grass. Grab my phone because I'm going to call my dad and my dad, I see a text from my dad that's like, seeing anything? So I call him and I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing something. And he's like, did you shoot something? Because for whatever reason, it's in this little pocket that he can't see. I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, I'll go get the ATV. So he gets the ATV and brings it around. And he's at the bottom of the stand. And I'm getting my stuff ready, pulling the rounds out of my gun to hand down to him. I'm like excited. You know, I've just been sitting there, finished my coffee. And I'm looking over at just like a, two tines sticking out. I'm like, I think he's a good one. And he's like, you think he's a good one? I was like, I think he's a good one. We get over there, and it is the biggest buck I've ever shot, which it's a 160 uh, gross score, which is a great deer Amazing, for where yeah. we're around. And he was just big body deer. He was just, he was at the peak. Like, I had no qualms shooting him, and my dad just started giving me the business about, like, Oh, I think he's a, I think he's a pretty good deer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, just it's like, shut it. up, man. Like, I, I, I don't know what happened. It all happened so fast, which is funny because like all I'd been saying all morning is just like, just stay calm and move slow. Yeah. Like that's my biggest problem with deer hunting is when you see that deer, you're like, oh, God. oh, God. oh it's this big deer. Yeah. And it's like, just stay calm. And then like you get in the moment, it's like, I just went back to my nervous self. And so. Those are the big parts of my season. Nice. I'm yeah, a firm believer when it comes to deer hunting or any type of hunting, like you should shoot what makes you happy. Yeah. Right? It, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't ever have to feel the need to apologize for a deer. Yeah. Um, if you were okay doing it in the moment, own that yeah. and be excited. And if you look back and you regret something about it, yeah. just change it in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And well, so I, when I, I had that realization, I didn't shoot a deer for three years. Yeah. I mean, I shot does, but I didn't, I didn't buck hunt. Well, I yeah. was well you're hunting. waiting for the yeah. right buck. And it was like it, to have it culminate in that like buck that I'm like, I am never making an apology for this thing. It's like, yeah, that feels right. Yep. Yeah. Because the last buck I shot, I was like, I did that thing where I was like, well, you just, uh, yeah. Well, and, the last and buck you shot. There's one caveat yeah. to that, and that is if you are hunting shared land. So if it's like a private chunk of land, and there is, there is a, I'm trying to think of how to say this. Basically, if everybody has come to a consensus that like, hey, this is what we shoot out here. Yeah. Then I feel like if you're the odd man out and you're like, man, I just want to shoot a spike buck or whatever comes in front of me. I think you kind of have to fall in line at that point if you're hunting property that's not yours or that you're kind of outvoted in. Yeah, right? for sure. And if you want to shoot something smaller, like you can hunt in a different spot. Uh, yeah. I've talked about that with the property that I mainly hunt. Like I got access to it years ago, started inviting people out and it was kind of like, hey, shoot whatever. But then I really wanted to start getting into management because it's not all about the rack for me. Like I hunt for meat primarily. But when it comes to bucks, I do want to be able to have cool encounters with just abnormal deer, you know, yeah. not just the average deer. I want to see big deer. I want to harvest big deer. And I've passed on plenty of smaller bucks uh, throughout the years and even this year. But I think that, and along with that, anytime I have a new hunter come out, there's no regulations on what they can shoot. And I'm like, I can, I'm fine with giving up one small buck that could be a giant buck five years from now 
because I want them to enjoy it. I want them mm-hmm. to be happy with what they shoot. And then after that, it's like, all right, now we're going to educate you on the expectations out here. This is what we're going for. Yeah. And, and just help them understand it's, there's something different about shooting something out of the normal mm-hmm. on a property. And that goes for anything. I'm yeah. talking like birds even. Like, yep. there's places where they're like, dude, we don't want you to shoot the wood ducks out here. Dude, uh, <laughs> Matt and Ben, the guys we were hunting with on Thursday on this place, right? This season, they took some guys hunting for the first time, duck hunting. Yeah. And uh, they had scouted this spot. They were feeling good about it. And they're like, we're going to take these guys bird hunting for the first time, right? They go in, set up, and it's the classic public land. Dude rolls in 10 minutes before shooting light right at the mouth of this cove. They're, like, flashing their headlights at him, like, Hey, we're, we're on, back man. here. Yeah, we yeah. already set up, right? You're not doing anything illegal, but, like, you're wrong. <laughs> and just sky busts every bird that was going to land oh, in that man. cove. And they, they are feeling so bad. And about mid-morning, these birds swim into their decoys. And the guy's like, ducks, ducks, ducks. So Matt and Ben look over, and it's just a raft of coots, right? Yeah. And these, they, then they're, like, they're trying to figure out how to tell these guys, like, oh, those are, so these are coots. And yeah. it's... And they they like they turn to look at them. Yeah, <laughs> they they turn to look at them, and they're just so stoked. They're like, Blast "Yep, them. yep, yep. Sure. all right, everybody, stay stay calm, stay calm. <laughs> We're gonna do this, and just like absolutely decimate this for after coots. And you can't wait for them to take off. Like some people have that issue. It's not oh, yeah. illegal to to shoot birds on the water here, but a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's not the right waterfowl etiquette, whatever." And but it's not illegal to shoot them on the water. You cannot jump coots. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You have to be within feet of them before yep. they're like, yeah, we're bouncing out of here. Yeah. We've, we've gone through. I used to hunt the Mississippi River in between Wisconsin and Minnesota, and there were birds all over the place there, but the coots would show up in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and, like, you're driving your boat through, and you're almost running them over. They're, like, running alongside and in front of the boat, and then they'll get, like, 10 feet away and they'll just sit down again. And so, um, yeah, jump shooting coots, totally different. But yeah. that again goes with like, hey, what's the norm for the for the group that you're hunting with? Yeah. You know, if you're out there and there's people who are just like, guys, we don't shoot birds on the water. We jump them up and give them a fair chance. That's just, you know, you have to go with that or you can try to educate them. Like, I, I've always been like, man, I don't, I just don't shoot birds like, sitting on the water for a long time because that's what I was taught. Yeah. And then in thinking about it, I'm like, listen, if I call in birds and I have a setup and I, won. I get them to land on the water, that's the ultimate, like they actually did it. Yeah. Yeah. You've I choose it. not to shoot them on the water because I find the effectiveness of my BBs when they're on the water is way less. Yeah. Like if anybody shot a bird that lands on the water and is swimming around and you're trying to kill it quickly, it does not happen very quickly no. once they've landed on the water. Yeah. Half their vitals are underwater. Exactly. exactly. Half yeah. of them are underwater, and then you have that extra layering of the wings on top of it. And so, like, you have to shoot them in the head, but typically if they've landed on the water, they're probably not, like, five feet away. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would much rather shoot them flying. I think it's more fun to do that anyways. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of things that people have – just bought into like, oh, you don't do this. You don't do that. You can't shoot this type Without of thing. Without actually thinking and about it. And you no. just need to, if, if it takes away from your hunt, 
don't do it that way. Like, if you go out there and you're like, oh, man, I can't shoot this buck because, like, it's just not going to be good for Instagram or whatever. Yeah. That's the wrong way to go about yeah. it. Yeah. If it gets your blood boiling, if and there's plenty of times I've been like that. I've been like, all right, these are the three bucks that I've had on trail camera. These are the ones that I want to shoot. And then something different comes in, maybe one that I hadn't seen or maybe one that I had seen but just never in person. It comes in. I get excited. I'm like, I'm super happy with this deer. I'm going to shoot it and not apologize about it. I, yep. I mean, I think you can extend that across. For the longest time, I felt so guilty when I would get on my phone hunting, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm doing it wrong, right? It's like, and then I got to this point where I was like, man, if I'm on, if I'm on my phone in the woods, that's better than being on my phone back at the cabin. Yeah. I'm not going to shoot anything back at the cabin. If this yeah. keeps me in the woods 10 minutes longer or 20 minutes longer or 30 minutes longer, or like taking a nap or bringing a book or whatever. It's just like. Dude, bringing the book, I think that's the move for me. I, I can't sit like 30 minutes in, I'm out. Like I can't, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just can't do it. So yeah. how's that been going for you this season? Oh, the season thing. Wow. Um, that was one of the smoother segues <laughs> I've ever had on the podcast. That was pretty good. Um, so yeah, deer season this year. Um, I mean, I feel like, like I said, I tagged out in my county. First year. Um, first tagged year this out. year. Yeah, tagged out. Um, That's a good season. I had a cool <laughs> yeah. shot. Um, I uh, So like how you guys are talking about the nervousness and like staying calm. I shoot a lot on a shot timer. Um, shoot an AR a lot, shoot for speed, and, like, do stuff like kettlebell tosses. You oh, know, like run, you're talking like, about outside of hunting. Yeah, like yeah. You're so doing, like, you're doing like, range days. Yeah, yeah. so I do a style. lot of this stuff. And so, like, when it comes to deer hunting, like, I see a deer run or something. I don't even, like, I feel like my heart doesn't even pound faster. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm that I'm good at. Um, and this year I had a really cool shot, like, a little over 200 yards. Uh, AR-15, red dot, running deer one shot, put it down. And it was, that was like pretty cool. Um, after this year, I don't think I'm going to hunt 223 anymore. Yeah. Um, and it is cool though, to like spend these, this time, like in the abstract at a range where you have like this digital timer, that's like yeah. measuring and then like to take it out to the field and be like, Oh, there's, here's the practical application. Now I get to eat things. Well, yeah. And for sure. And like that, um, Oh, I can't think of the name of it now, but it's like that, stress that you can create with a shot timer and with obstacles and barriers mm -hmm. and stuff does actually translate to being in the woods and seeing animals, you know, and being in control and being calm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that deer was cool. I mean, it was running, there were like five does. It was right before sunset. They were setting up in these woods where they always were. And I'd hiked a lot that day, like probably five miles and was sitting there waiting before going back in and all of a sudden, I don't know what spooked him. I don't think it was me because I'd been there for probably 20 minutes. Um, but they took off running, and this one ran out. There was, like, two parts of woods. One, I guess you called a pinch point, you know, an open, yep. probably 30-yard spot that was open. And she ran out, and right as I pulled the trigger, she just 90-degree turned, you know, and it was like, missed her. And then the one behind her was bigger, and that one, it was like she ran to the same spot, put the same shot on it. She went down, and it's pretty cool to shoot that far with a red dot, you yeah. know, and like no magnification at all. And, um, that was cool. Yeah. Then I tagged out, shot a couple more, um, shot one more with the AR shot one with a 308, mm -hmm. you know, normal way. Yep. Um, and that was really the convincing moment that I had one deer get away this year. I shot it. Great shot. 
um, like 150 yards, put it right behind its shoulder. It ran 20 feet, fell down, got up, ran, fell down, fell down, fell down. But like the blood trail was so minimal. And uh, the, the two I shot with a 223, the bullet didn't exit. And so there's no exit wound. There's no big blood trail. So it's mm-hmm. like if you don't see them go down and they don't die immediately, it just doesn't seem ethical. So yeah, yeah. So I don't think I'm going to hunt that caliber again this year or next year. Like I said, this is kind of new to me. All of this. Yeah. Um, but uh, plan to build a six five Grendel upper. Yeah. Nice for next year. Just to you know, because I'm so used to the platform. Um, and then yeah, early teal season took one total random luck yeah um and then you know did dove season shot a ton we got in this groove at our buddy sam's house um where we'd get done with work go to sam's house and shoot like seven doves each nice every time it was crazy i mean it was it was awesome yeah and uh yeah that was that was great um and then i've done a little bit of waterfowl i got a gadwall last week um that I completely destroyed. We shot it out of the air and it hit the ground, tried to run and I shot it and <laughs> blew a breast completely off of it. Yeah. Felt pretty bad about it. Um, but still ate it, you know, yeah. I mean, didn't let it go to waste. And Talk about your background a little bit, um, like within meat and consumption. Oh yeah. So like, I was like so, your, your big like period, period in between. Yeah. So, so growing up, my dad had an FFL and like was a gunsmith so i grew up like around guns on that side of it and then when i moved out um i ended up not eating meat for like seven years mm-hmm. um and during that time i had nothing against hunting there's actually like a, a a group of vegans who are pro hunting because it takes away from factory farms which is like actually kind of a problem in yeah America. kind is not the right word it's a problem yeah um pollution wise also it's like super cruel you know, I mean, you watch That's, those videos and it like hurts. Well, so, if you look at the science behind like the whole greenhouse gases and global warming, oh yeah, thing, factory farms are killing it. The the amount of methane that cows produce, it's insane when compared to like vehicle. Well, and yeah, um, we get the so, t- emissions. So, like on this topic, I'm I love talking about this. I I always want to like start off by saying like. I'm not here to dump on any farmers because like, I understand like most dudes are trying to just make a living. Yeah. Like, it's not like, it's like, I will concoct this evil scheme to oh, destroy the even planet. Think, and, I don't and even think they're rich. related. I don't right. even think family farms are related to it's, that. It's totally different than these fa- factory farms, right? But what's so fascinating to me is all animals have a life and all animals have a death, right? Yeah. Yep. The factory farmed animals have purpose in their death, right? They live their entire life to die, to put food, right? Yeah. Yep. Wild animals have a purpose in their life. They build whole ecologies, and it's it's these this beautiful interconnected like picture, right? Yep. And hunting is the only thing that I can think of. Feel free to comment, like, rate, and subscribe if you disagree or agree with this statement. Hey, no. well done. Uh, but hunting is the only thing that I can think of where an animal has purpose in their life and purpose in their death, yep. right? Not to say that, like, a predator can't kill an animal and, like, that predator feeds off of it. Whatever. Yeah, there's there are, a purpose yeah. there. there, there is I mean, ecology, the circle of life, yeah. But, like, there is this beautiful overlap of the purpose for a human being in hunting where this animal lived a good life. And I'm not trying to, like, make light of its death. 
it still died. It still did not want to die. I wanted it to die. I enforced my will yep. upon it. But then I made use out of that, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's like, so being vegan for seven years, um, I like you read so much and learn so much about like the horrors of how animals are treated. And uh, what's interesting about that is it's like individuals don't mistreat animals. I mean, of course, there are cases, you know, but it's like by and large, the people you meet are not like awful people. It's just like this process that we've created. Um, And that process could be alleviated probably completely if everyone hunted, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's like we hunt. How how far does a deer go in meat, you know, and then you get a turkey or two, some ducks, you get rabbits. I mean, you literally can supplement your entire meat. Well, and well, with game animals. we've become so disconnected from our food. That's and exactly where we what get. I didn't say. And I want to go back for just a second because I brought up like global warming and all of that stuff. I, my, my whole issue is not with global warming by any means. I know there's, there's certain things that are going on right now. I just bring up the methane thing because I did a, I did a speech in college about global warming mm-hmm. and looking at methane, I was like, wow, this is really funny that cow farts are a big problem in the whole argument with global warming. Well, yeah, we're literally putting, we're putting the blame on like us for driving vehicles and working jobs when really the blame kind of more lies on like this whole institution. Yeah. And I also think I'm not going to go too far into this, but part of my speech with global warming, it was just very interesting to me to see, um, like I was, I was basically out to debunk global warming when I started doing this speech yeah sure and looking at it and it used to be global cooling and then global warming and now climate change and looking at us as humans we we put an impact on the environment for sure but also it's a cyclical deal like the earth is always in constant cycles but the whole cow farts thing i just found very fascinating yeah and uh so i I think it was like 15 times uh yeah they they had a 15 times greater greenhouse effect than yeah. CO2 does. So if you did a report on that, you read about like the algal blooms in the oh, yeah. Gulf of Mexico, where yep, it's like yep. that actually like kills all these fish, raises the water temperature, like creates this huge problem. And it all comes out of the Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what's on the Mississippi? Factory farms, you know? Yeah. So here's a, a thing that just blows my mind. For every, for every pound of corn that Iowa produces, it loses two pounds of topsoil. Now, Good anybody Lord. who's doing math can tell you that's unsustainable because it takes, you know, yeah. a thousand years to produce an inch of topsoil naturally without any human yeah, interaction. Yeah, and you, you right? can grow quite a bit of corn in that time. And then think about all of the chemicals you're putting into that soil that runs off into where? Yeah, the into the tributaries and into right. it. Yeah. So, and then you like further impact that problem by thinking like, okay, so in, in order to bump up one trophic level, it's about 10 times the resources. So... If you want to produce one pound of uh, Iowa corn-fed beef, right, you got to produce ten pounds of corn, which could have fed, which then is some, twenty yeah. pounds of topsoil. Yeah, doesn't yeah, that just blow the, your yeah. mind? No. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so like, here's the other thing on global warming. You can have a debate about whatever. In my brain, I go, so like, what if we like stop doing so much like factory farming and producing things in factories, and 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 then we discover that climate change was a hoax, like. Isn't what did it planet, hurt? Yeah, isn't what our did planet it hurt? still better? Like, yeah, yeah. wouldn't I think, it be better to move back to the land? Well, and that is like such a key these? argument where it's like, if we practice conservation in everything and it ends up everything was okay, awesome. 
We still yeah. got like, more people awesome. in the woods. We yeah, still that's got more people caring win. about. Yeah. You're making it better, and it was the okay worst, to begin with. The worst case Whatever. scenario yeah. is yeah. better than what's happening. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even make sense yeah. that well, anyone can argue think, against it. I don't know where it came from. and Well, I do know where it came from. Politics. Sure. The whole yeah. separation between environmentalists and outdoorsmen, hunters, fishermen, it's like they've always been at odds, but it yeah. doesn't make sense for them to be at all. Well, you know like, what I mean? Like, sh- they should be... There's working a, together there's a key conservation guy like a guy who is in outdoor media who always talks about the fact that like there's this one political party who is all about my rights to hunt yeah. and all about my rights to own guns and then there's this other political party who is all about my rights to have public land and places to chase these things and mm-hmm. it's like what do i do with these because like yeah. they're both fundamentally key to the thing that i love yep yep and yep. they're like they're not on opposite sides of the aisle, but they are. And now what do I do yeah, with it's this? Yeah. Very, They've been put on It's very sides. difficult because it would be so great no. if you could actually vote for multiple people yeah. hey, based on different points. Hey, just, whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you guys people running the country at one time? I hate to that say that can't happen. I hate it to do that thing where you're like, have you, only be one. have you have you guys seen that movie? Um, but like that don't look up movie. I have not watched I it. Yet, I, did. I just, so I just watched it. it. There's this, there's this part in it where like the head of NASA is an anesthesiologist and it's like, they're like, why didn't she know what was happening? And it's like, oh, well, I wonder, you know, like, <laughs> like that there's like this silly disconnect. That's yeah. what I was talking about yeah. earlier in conservation where it's like, well, they actually have people who went to school for this yeah. doing it. What a yeah. crazy idea. Yeah. yeah. You know? And gosh, oh, yeah. this this podcast was all over the place, and I really so, enjoyed it. So, what about the ducks tomorrow? So tomorrow, I'm gonna take my old shotgun out there that yeah. I cleaned for the first time. I think it's ever been cleaned. Ooh, yeah, it, I pulled. It was it was crusty. So, like on those Brownings, you have to have the right set of screwdrivers to get them apart. And there oh, was yeah. over a quarter inch of. I don't know, grime, muck, buildup yeah. in the, the back nice of the receiver. Is, if you wait to Still. do that until you're in the field, you can actually use it as face paint. I, I could have done that. Yeah. I could have done that. But no, we took it out <laughs> yeah. the other day and it literally like didn't eject. It didn't cycle. It didn't load. It didn't do. I had to manually do everything on it. And uh, I've taken it out a couple times now in the bitter cold and it's ran perfect. So it's interesting yeah. what a uh, lack of dirt and a little bit of oil will do yeah. for a gun. What, what are our guesses for tomorrow? Let's, uh, should we do a little gentleman's bit? Uh, no. I only brought <laughs> oh, like no. 25 rounds. So, so like I'm doing the thing that like it, anybody who's in Southwest Missouri and has hunted ducks is doing right. Where like we split the two flyways, the central and the Mississippi almost exactly. So yeah. like it's never lights out. Right. Yeah. But like I'm looking tomorrow. It could be. I'm looking tomorrow, tomorrow and I'm like conditions, man. I'm, I'm thinking like it's it, that's the thing. It's like but, it's almost like an abusive relationship yeah. where you're looking to tomorrow and you're like, tomorrow's going to be better. Tomorrow's going to be different. <laughs> they, they will have changed. But like, but then like, then you look, then you're like, you're trying to mitigate the like expectations. You're yeah. Like, but, but we're, I mean, we probably won't see anything. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to be let down, you know, but I mean, everything's looking good. So like, I guess, I guess, but uh, I, I don't know, man. So I'm 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 guessing another like ten. I'm, 10 I'm to shooting for three day. ducks tomorrow. Total for you or like or everybody per. Just, just being hopeful. Yeah, man. If I shoot three ducks tomorrow, I will be stoked. That's like good I think eating. we're gonna get. I think well, like 
Thursday was le- legitimately all green wing teal Drakes. We didn't crazy. even crazy. Yeah, but <laughs> I would be. I think I would be so. Yeah, that's yeah. a good tasting day. I think oh, we man. we were pumped all the way to like nine, and then it, then we got like a couple more, and then one more. Yeah, and we were like, huh? What is happening? I think tomorrow we'll get a mixed bag, and I think we'll do all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm gonna be very optimistic. Yeah, and say sixteen. 16. 16. Wow. Four a piece, huh? Four a wow. piece. Or eight for Isaac and well, two thirds yeah, of a four no, man that's illegal. <laughs> two thirds of I love two I love, thirds of a four man. I limit. love talking about how many we killed yeah. in limits. Yeah. And it's like, dude, we shot a five man limit today. Oh man, are you kidding me? Who went out? Uh, well, there, there were 11, 11 of us. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, the other one is that like was, that was Wisconsin yeah. for, for Dane and I. S- single up top. Bunch. Bunch of singles up top. <laughs> a bunch of singles. There's, Several there's, singles. There's three singles flying together. Take them. <laughs> I, I got yelled at one time because I was in a pit in Colorado hunting geese. And here in Missouri, when you see ducks a mile away, it's like, hey, ducks out front, ducks out front, yeah. right? And out there, I was like, all right, guys, we got ducks behind. Oh, there's some coming from the west also. And they're like, where, 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 where? How close do we need to get down? I'm like, I mean, they're way out. And they're just like, D- Dan, quit calling birds yeah. that far away. Like, we couldn't even flag at those right now. Yeah. And I'm like, sorry, man, that's what I'm used to. Back in Missouri, yeah. we would have considered this a good day. Yeah. 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 Just seeing them just that seeing, far away. Yeah. They were we there. We would be considering sky blasting those right now. <laughs> this is exciting. Yeah. I, I feel good about tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, let's wrap this one up. Uh, why don't you guys share your handles quick? That way, if people want to follow along. I'm not handling. Okay. Chad forever. Not handling. That Maybe I should start it. Uh, Isaac Neal, at Isaac Neal, I-S-A-A-C-N-E-A-L-E. <laughs> Drew? Uh, Mo Chicken Taco. Mo Chicken Taco. I always love it because randomly I'll be like typing in Drew Edwards. Yeah, and then I'm like, nope, that's well, right. It's some after, asshole took Drew Edwards after the what? hunt on Thursday. I wonder what his name is. Our buddy, what a bad person. Yeah, after the hunt on Thursday, our buddy was like trying to find him on Instagram, and he's like, I couldn't find Drew on Instagram, but then he found me, and I realized why. His name is Mo Chicken Taco. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't yeah. sound like his name at all. Yeah, nope. No one likes it, but you have it. That's it's, your name. It's great. Yep. Well, thanks for hopping on the podcast with me, guys. That was thoroughly enjoyable. Thanks for having us. That was an yeah, hour and for 37 sure. minutes. That was a long podcast, but hopefully it kept people's attention, and there's probably going to be a lot of people that hate me after this. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. <laughs> That's be sure, hey, be sure to subscribe. Do a hate subscribe. Do a hate review. Yeah, and do, do a, a hate five, share with all your friends. star hate review just to like, yeah, this dude, guy Dude, it'd be such good. a good prank to just like drop a five-star review. Oh, dude. And then oh, to like, God. and try to deplete my uh, gear online by just buying all of it so nobody else Dude, just else buy can. it all and burn it. Oh, that'd hey, really show it. Hey, after this, I'm going to show you guys my new t-shirt design. Woo! I'm pretty pumped. All right. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I I enjoy sitting down and chatting. And every now and then, it's good to challenge your beliefs and figure out exactly why you think the way you do about a certain topic. And so um, a few thoughts were brought up that normally, I guess we wouldn't talk about. But it, it was really a good time 
and I think we all got a lot out of the podcast. I hope you guys did as well. And I will say I am recording this uh, outro a couple days after the hunt so I can actually tell you and fill you in on how the hunt went. We got out there that morning, um, busted out ice. We honestly didn't know if there was going to be ice or open water the night before that as we were recording. We get out there and there was ice. So we break out a hole in front of the blind and right away we had birds dropping in landing on the water landing on the ice working into the spread and we had to wait until legal shooting light for a couple of them we had probably four or five maybe six land in the water take off after a couple minutes and then we had a couple mallards drop in before legal shooting light waited for the waited for the time to show up where we could actually take them and then we jumped them up off the water but all in all i think we ended with 11 birds several mallards several teal um a couple spoonbill and a merganser which i don't know that i've shot a merganser in missouri but anyways it was a great hunt it's always fun getting out and chasing after animals with people that you enjoy being around and i've got a couple cool announcements so like i said at the beginning of the show we've got some merch coming out we've got a couple um sweatshirts t-shirts uh a new round of stickers, and we're gonna have some more coming out in a couple weeks. So watch for the first drop next week. I've already ordered the first few order, or placed the first few orders so that I could see it in person, check the quality of it, make sure it's exactly what I want to put out there to all the listeners and supporters. But I just can't wait to finally have more merchandise than just a single sticker. And I hope you guys are looking forward to it too. A lot of you have commented and said, hey, put out some shirts, put out some hats. So more coming your guys' way soon. And I want to make you aware of the YouTube channel. So the Nomadic Outdoorsman YouTube channel has been kind of bare for quite a while, but I've been editing a lot of YouTube videos, all of my Zoom recordings, video chats with the guests from the show. I'm going to be airing those as well so you can get online, watch those, or listen along that way. Anyways, I am so thankful and grateful for all of your guys' support. Hopefully, if you haven't already, you will get on and leave a review and a rating of the show. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.